we didn't we didn't really change our lifestyle. You know, we were making decent money before we sold the business. It, we didn't really, I don't know, we bought her a sports car. But we, we did that right before we sold the business. And I think our big purchase was this boat. You know, once we got that, that done, we, we bought the boat a couple, three months later. But the reason we sold the business is because we wanted to go live this lifestyle and and uh, have a little more time with our, a little freedom with our time, right? That's what we were really looking to accomplish. I think that's the, I think that's the ultimate goal, more so than money is the, the freedom of your time. You know, I, I'm no different than, you know, probably the vast majority of your, your listeners and, and other people out there, right, that own a small business. I just started a business hoping to make enough money where I could, you know, pay rent and eat and maybe have a vehicle that ran decent and, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I you know, that's all. You're, you're just trying to survive when you're you know, maybe in your 20s. And I kind of got doing that okay. And then, and then I think I started doing a little bit better than average. So I was kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't say comfortable, but I was happy. And I saw a business that sold it was in the same mar- field as me, right? And they sold for an absolute grip of cash, you know, like 17 or 20 million. It was a ton of dough. And I'm like, wow, how do I do that? That sounds appealing. To me. I think you need to understand your exit before you start building a company. And I met with them for the, the simple purpose of, I'd like to understand the value of my company and I'd like to understand what they're going to want in a to purchase a company. Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, the show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires and Veil Podcast. This is episode number 311. Stace, what's going on? How you doing? Doing great over here. Fill us in on what's newsy. What's newsy is, man, we just got done watching Djokovic win number 24. Paid salute to Kobe Bryant, Mama Mentality. And, man, unbelievable to watch just spectacular tennis over the last couple of weeks in general, but seeing the mindset and the capacity and just all sorts of things, sportsmanship, all sorts of things on full display. It was pretty remarkable. I'm definitely inspired for the week after watching that. That's for sure. Not to mention Coco Goff won as well. So that was pretty awesome as well, but that was yesterday. I think she's the youngest female to win the U.S. Open since Serena Williams was 19 as well. Yeah, it's been it's been several years. So, yeah, congrats to them. Remarkable uh, few weeks of tennis, that's for sure. And I'm always surprised that you cheer for Djokovic because you always love a good underdog story, but we do love Djokovic so much, and we love for him to win. I, I am more of the underdog mentality for sure with like 99% of things. But there's a few people out there, Djokovic being one of them, I feel like has so many like haters in a way that they just don't want him to like succeed. And so I feel like there's still a bit of like the underdog. And the fact that he like succeeds so many times under so much pressure and he talks about it 
it's just, it's amazing. And I think it was Wimbledon before he lost to Alcaraz that he, a reporter asked him about in the post game interview before the next match, they asked about him handling the pressure and he said, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I just, I, I enjoy him a lot. A lot of great lessons you can learn from sports and athletes uh, as it relates to to finances. And today, in fact, we're reading an article together, <laughs> which we don't do very often. And this article is entitled, just a couple days ago, entitled um, The Secret to Saving for Retirement, Start Before You're 20. <laughs> so we don't have very many listeners that are under 20, but we probably have a lot that have kids. And yeah, I mean, this was really all about getting Roth set up for kids, whether it be summer jobs that they have earned income from or other sorts of things as teenagers and maybe even before that they're able to earn money and gave several examples of of these people who were contributing to their Roth IRAs, which I thought was pretty interesting, something we've talked about a couple times on the show, but not super frequently. Yeah, I thought it was a good a good article. This is something that I find myself asking in interviews often is uh, to those who are parents, how do you, how are you teaching your children about, about wealth building? And some people have, some people have various accounts set up for their kids and others don't, but this one shed light on setting up Roth IRAs in particular because of their tax advantages. Your kids can start contributing for summer jobs. They can be employed by a parent uh, who has them doing office tasks like shredding papers or whatnot. So, uh, yeah, for those that I guess parents that have businesses, it's a it's a great way if they want to employ their kids. One of the interesting statistics I I thought so this says uh, Roth IRAs for teens are gaining in popularity. The average age of those with custodial Roth IRAs, where an adult sets up the account with the child as a beneficiary, is thirteen point seven years old. It's crazy. Fidelity Investments, in particular, said. The number of these accounts in June grew 28% year over year. So seems like it's starting to catch on. I don't know if financial literacy in general is getting better in this country or not uh, statistically, but it seems like there's definitely people out there paying attention now. I guess we're, I don't know, 30 some odd years into, into the Roth IRA, or almost 30 some odd years into the Roth IRA. And uh, it's gaining popularity, especially amongst teenagers. 13.7 years old, that's the average age. That's crazy. Right. And then depending on the state, the kids can take over management of the account at 18 or 21. So yeah, great, uh, great article on, on Roth IRAs and saving for retirement before you're 20. I did get a little jump start, but not as much as I probably would have liked. Spent a little bit too much money at Taco Bell. Anyway, wanted to read a couple of things. We got a couple of emails this week and also a phenomenal uh, review we talk about this quite frequently, but people really relate to those that they can relate to on the podcast. So this uh, this comes from uh, Nuni. This is in relation to last week's episode. She says, great episode. As a Puerto Rican that is also an electrical engineer and also under 40, I love Nora's story. Feels like my journey, but I don't have a PhD. Feeling proud of my Boricua. I hope I pronounced that right. I don't speak very good uh, Spanish anymore, so... My accent's a little more Eastern European since I lived over there. Also got an email. Uh, this came in from this came in from Jordan. He said, "I know you've stopped asking a couple questions. One, what's the worth? What's worth spending the money on, and what's not? 
And then also, do you budget on the rapid fire questions? I found a lot of value in those answers. We really love to see those added back, at least the former if possible. Thanks for sharing your feedback and keep up the good work. Jordan, appreciate that. I will definitely try to take note of that as we've tried to kind of mix up a little bit of the the rapid fire questions and get a little different takes on different things. And, you know, quite frankly, on the budgeting side, we, we found that most millionaires don't budget. And so it was kind of a, I don't know if it was a dumb question, but it just kind of became a a rhetorical no upwards of like 80 some odd percent who either don't budget or only budgeted for a brief period of, of their time. So kind of interesting statistic, but that's partly why we stopped asking that one. In regards to what's spending the money and what's not, I do think it's a great question. Sometimes we try to capture that a little bit when we discuss kind of the bucket list items and and uh, some other things, but definitely try to throw it in and rotate them around and keep uh, the rapid fire a little fresh. If you'd like to be on the podcast, if you haven't heard your story yet, send us an email, meanerismfailed at gmail.com. Always looking for new great guests. Uh, trying to figure out, we'll have to do the list again and see what professions we're missing, but... At any rate, uh, last week we had Nora's mentioned. She had no worth of $3.5 million. Today's episode, we have Chad. He just uh, sold his business not too long ago, and he is sailing around on a catamaran in the Caribbean doing probably what most people think most millionaires are doing. But, uh, yeah, Chad's got a net worth of $10 million. I will make uh, one note. I apologize. There's a couple sections where the audio is not ideal, but uh, yeah, we were dealing with Starlink and Elon just didn't deliver on some of the internet a couple times. So, you know, and you're recording with somebody who's like literally out in the middle of the ocean somewhere, you know, it's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet to hear the story. But uh, yeah, Chad's out in the middle of the ocean and we're recording a podcast and uh, it is what it is. So apologize for those couple segments. You'll notice them. Uh, but uh, just concentrate on the content. It's a great episode with him. Uh, he's got a good chunk of this in the boat that he bought on the catamaran that he's uh, sailing around in with his family. And then he's got kind of his land life and paid for house and all that kind of fun stuff. And then he's got a bunch uh, in cash and liquid and retirement accounts. So we go into all the details of it. And also we did a follow-up episode with him, which we'll release uh, later this week, which will be kind of the second episode of this week where we dive all things private equity because he ended up selling his uh, company's private equity. We'll get into a little bit of it in this episode, but really take a deep dive on it uh, in the next episode that uh, we'll release later. I like that he called it his land life. And I don't know that he ever referred to it as his land life, but I hope he takes this forward. I think he, I think he does call it his land life because he's got like a sea life, <laughs> you know? And you like made the joke about him being, you know, instead of a 50,000 foot view, it's like, sea level view but i think he calls it his land life but if not i'll get corrected <laughs> don't send me hate mail on that one no i liked it that was good so without any further delay let's get in the interview with chad chad you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now well i guess my background is you know i had a business i started back in 98 back in the day sold it in about a year and a half ago maybe a little bit more than that and we decided as a family that we wanted to live on a boat and travel the world. And we bought a catamaran and now we're in the Caribbean and we're looking to keep on going west until we are done doing this. I don't know how long that'll be, but we're going to keep going. It's been, it's been an adventure, to say the least. Good for you. This is awesome. This, I think there's a second guest we had on now, too, that sold a business and uh, taking the catamaran life out to the Caribbean. So 
And he's he had a successful tour. I think he was out for, I don't know, like eight months or something. So hopefully yours is as successful as his. Well, we're at a year. We've been in the water. and the boat Oh, wow. And we're, we're going to go back um, for a few weeks and, you know, some doctor appointments and just kind of that kind of stuff, right? And then we're going to come back out for at least another year. And I think it's probably going to become a lifestyle, to be honest with you. Wow, good for you. Before we get into some more details about your story, what's your net worth today? You know, I'm sitting right there at about $10 million. Good for you. And how is that broken up? So, you know, I've got... Uh, I still got a uh, million dollars invested in the the firm that purchased my company. I've got, uh, I call it like my land life, you know, like uh, I still have my house and cars and all that kind of stuff, the whatever. And I got about a million bucks in that. And then this boat I'm sitting on is worth about a million bucks. And then the rest of it. It's, you know, a little bit of cash and, and then the rest is basically invested in the market in some way. And do you have any in retirement accounts or is it all in basically a taxable bar- brokerage? So most of it, I have I have a little bit in taxable accounts, I, I, maybe 300000 or so between me and my wife. And that's it. You know, mo- most of it's in uh, traditional and... I'm actually, I'd like to take those out of traditional and put them into Roths, but, you know, I haven't had a year where I've making no money yet, but it's com- coming shortly. And then when, at that point in time, then as it makes sense from a tax perspective, I'll transfer them over to Roths and, you know, pay my tax and, and be done with it. I want to get into to this because this is an interesting concept, especially for somebody that's essentially retired. And for our listeners, if you don't mind sharing, how old are you at this point? I am 52. Okay, so early 50s, looking to, to do a Roth conversion ladder. How did you get your traditional IRA so large? Was that invested in your business? Yeah, you know, we started way back a while ago, to be honest with you, my, my wife had a job where she was required to put money in and we started putting money in a little bit here, a little bit there. And then, you know, just kind of grew over time. And, and then the, at the very end, you know, I, in my business, I opened up, uh, I did the, um, IRA stuff and the 401k and what have you. And that just, we just started maxing it out every single year. So little combination of growth and you know just putting a lot in and and did you invest that and still invested mainly in equities yeah yeah i think all that's in equities the the 401k money the traditional raw or the uh, traditional 401k is all just in equities it's pretty simple on that and plan is to keep doing that well i don't have any my issues i don't have any earned income i don't have any way to put more money in really right so I, I, I don't know as though I can put more money into that vehicle. I think I'm kind of done almost, right? Because I don't have any earned income after this year. So. And you plan to keep it invested in equities, though? Yeah. Yeah, I'll keep it invested in equities. So in terms of living now, are you just basically pulling down income or dividends from, from those investments? Or how do you think about your kind of go forward living and cost of living. Yeah, I think it's going to, you know, we're just going to start, you know, taking money out slowly. We don't need a lot to live on for the most part, I guess. 
but we'll just start taking money out and, and we should be able to comfortably make more money on investments than we need to take out. So, you know, we're, we're mostly conservative in our investments, I think. And I think we'll just hopefully take out way less than 4%, probably quite a bit less than that and, and go from there. Good for you. So I always got to ask this question because it's always, it's always interesting for people to hear. And for me, you go to sell the business, you get the wire, talk us through the next few months. Obviously you've got a tax bill that you've got to pay, but what was that like? Did you buy anything? How did you go about taking that one big cash inflection and, and putting it to work? Well, the tax bill, that, that sucks. Um, but no, I don't think anybody felt sorry for me, you know, because they said, wow, you just made a lot of money, so you got to pay a lot of taxes, and I wish I had your problem. So I was there emotionally with the money. I was comfortable with it, and I knew it was coming, and I had already processed it, right? But my, my wife, on the other hand, had not, and she was struggling with it, and, and she's, she's there now, but it took a, a probably a better chunk of a year for her to understand where we were at financially. Like she logically knew it, but like emotionally, you know, we didn't, we didn't really change our lifestyle. You know, we were making decent money before we sold the business. We didn't really, I don't know. We bought her a sports car, but we, we did that right before we sold the business. And I think our big purchase was this boat. You know, once we got that, that done, we, we bought the boat couple three months later but the reason we sold the business is because we wanted to go live this lifestyle and and uh have a little more time with our a little freedom with our time right that's what we're really looking to accomplish i think that's the i think that's the ultimate goal more so than money is the the freedom of your time that's awesome so actually i wanted to go back i had a question about your your roth conversion you said you're waiting until you have a year where you make no money so for our listeners who may not be as well-versed in this, why would you want to wait until you have a year where you're making no money to make that conversion? Well, when I was, you know, making really good money, you're in, you know, you're in the highest tax bracket, right? You're getting crushed from a tax perspective. So you would take the, you would invest in your traditional 401k as a tax shelter, basically, right? And I knew part of my my strategy was put the money in there when I'm, you know, paying 30, 40% in taxes. And then when I sell my business, I won't have any earned income. I may have income from, uh, you know, maybe some dividends or a little bit of income from investments, but it won't be substantial. And, or at least it would be less than what it was when I was working. So then when I, you know, take a little bit of money, you know, maybe 50 grand a year or 75 grand a year, whatever my accountant thinks is right for the, the best tax advantage, then I will be in a lot lower tax bracket. And maybe I'm only paying, you know, 15 or 20% on the money instead of 40. I mean, that's just kind of my concept. I'm not a financial genius when it comes to this at all, but it just from 5,000 feet, it looked like that's what it should work, right? I don't, I don't know. That's my guess. I said, I think you're sitting there at zero feet, aren't you? You're at sea level? Yeah, I'm, I'm at zero feet right now, <laughs> for sure. From zero feet, I think that, that's, a, that's a good good move then. So you've made this huge job. You're living this boat lifestyle, which is, I have a hard time wrapping my brain around that. 
how are you logistically doing this? Do you have, do you have kids with you? Is it you and your wife? What is, what does this look like for your living circumstances? So we have, uh, I have a wife and then I have two kids, 13 and 16. Um, the boy's younger, the, the daughter's older and we, you know, we live on a boat and travel and they do homeschool and, and, you know, the funny thing is, is my, my daughter's crazy motivated. So she's actually going to graduate here this summer a year early. So, which is phenomenal, right? And she's just crushing school. It's, it's, it's awesome to see. And then the last year, cause we're going to keep her on the boat, even though she's graduated from high school and you know, she's not 18 yet and what have you. So that's, it'd be a challenge for her to go to college. Right? So we're going to enroll her into like some online college stuff. Maybe part-time-ish or what have you, kind of get her used to college. And, you know, she'll do her, her thing there. And then when she's 18, she can go to college, like, kind of at the normal time. But we just travel. You know, we started in uh, Florida, went up the East Coast last summer. And then this year, you know, down through the Bahamas and the DR, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, the USBI, the BBI. St. Martin, and now today we're sitting in uh, Guadalupe. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's cool. Your whole family has kind of come together to do this. So here's a question about your daughter who's graduating. Uh, sometimes I find when people graduate early, I've heard this before, I made a decision too young, what I wanted to study, what I wanted to go into, uh, especially kids who've done kind of Head Start or Running Start programs. So how do you help guide her at this point where she's going to start being, start making decisions that impact her real future, her real adult future? How are you trying to guide her to make these decisions at, you know, 16 years old, what she might be studying and or how she'll kind of move forward and set herself up for her career? It's tough, right? You know, because she's a 16 year old daughter, which is tough in itself. You, you, I think you just make everything available to them and, and talk about, Hey, what do you think you want to do? And, you know, we've been doing this for years though, with both of our kids and, you know, Hey, I want to be a NASCAR driver. Oh, I want to be a scientist. I want to do ballet. I want to sing, whatever it is. Right. And you just talk to them about it and, you know, Hey, you could probably do that. And, you know, if you could make money, maybe doing this, or, you know, if you owned a ballet company, maybe you could make some money, or do you want to teach ballet, or or whatever it is, and you just kind of explain to them, you know, what kind of lifestyle that would be, and and just go, all the time, we're just talking about it, and what do you, what do you have a passion about, and that's really, I think that's the key, right, I mean, that's why, Another reason why I sold my business is I didn't want my kids to feel like they had to go work in daddy's business. I wanted them to go do what they're passionate about. And I think that that changes a lot. I mean, you know, when you're a seven-year-old kid, you want to be a firefighter, right? You know, so like it, it, it changes and you just, I think you just constantly talk to them about it and, and, you know, try to introduce them to people who maybe do those jobs right now. You know, we had a, a gal that was on another boat. She did graphic design. And my daughter thought, well, that would be interesting. So we let her hang out with her for three or four hours while she did work and showed her, you know, what graphic design is all about. And is this something that you'd be interested in? And, and I think you just expose them to everything. you Nice. Those are, those are good words of wisdom. 
And how do you instill work ethic in your kids right now as you're living this boat lifestyle? A big stick is uh, encouraged at all times. (laughs) It's, you know, when you're so... It's very different lifestyle on a boat. It's actually easier to incorporate work ethic because there's so much to do and there's little jobs that they can do and you have to be responsible. You can't just sit there and you have to be aware of your surroundings and and just be, you know, aware of what's going on and, and, and make good decisions. So we've got them going, you know, to land, picking up some groceries or doing all kinds of different things. We we make them work on the boat a lot, a lot. So, and they respond decent most of the time. So that's pretty good. I'll tell you a quick story. We went, we were on the, the hard. We do some boat work in Fort Pierce over right before Thanksgiving. And we had a pile of work to do. I mean, an absolute pile of work. And a lot of it was just manual labor, right? So my kids could do it. I could do it. Everybody could do it. And it was like three weeks. And we told them, hey, we're going to pay you $25 a day to come out here and help us all day long. And that's just the way it is, right? And it wasn't, it wasn't fun. It wasn't easy. We didn't, none of us liked it. But we paid them for three weeks, and, and, and they were happy. And when we got done with the, water back in the, <clears throat> or the boat back in the water, the foreman there that was, you know, ran the, the marina, he came up to us. He goes, so I've been here doing this a long time. And I have never, ever seen kids, not one, ever work like your kids work. I, I'm super impressed with how you guys are parenting your kids. I didn't tell them I was paying them. But, you know, nonetheless, some kids don't want to work you know, even if you're paying them. So, and I think you just, you know, semi-force them, you know, bribe them, whatever. I think you have to install that work ethic into them. I think that's a, I think it's a requirement of being a parent. At least it is for us. Right, I, I I want them to have a work ethic, and and I feel like we're getting there for sure. That's great. Sounds like we're sending our kids to your boat the next time you're broken down. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, right? Why not? For sure, it's all fun. So, Chad, I gotta ask, what kind of sports car did you end up buying? So, we ended up buying uh. uh it's the, the, the big uh, Mercedes, or not the Mercedes, the Lexus. The, I think it's LC500. Yeah, a little convertible for my wife. And she just wanted a fancy little sports car. She's, all, she's wanted one for a very long time. And she was driving a great little mom car, you know, and she was a complete phenomenal sport the whole entire time. And I finally said, you know, let's just go get you a car. And she wanted to go get another, another mom car and... We walked in the showroom, and I said, hey, look at that pretty thing. You need to go test drive it. And she just, you know, there's literally heel marks as I dragged her to the car, and I said, do sit in this thing. I'll go get a salesman go drive it. And she came back, and she had the absolute biggest smile on her face, and I'm like, awesome. I mean, that is that is what it's all about, right? If you can put a smile on someone's face like that, I was like, we'll just take it. It's It was that simple for me. For sure. That's awesome. So I want to I want to back up and and just get a little bit more context into who Chad is and maybe take us through kind of your journey the last thirty years up until selling your business. So, you know, 
I'm no different than, you know, probably the vast majority of your, your listeners and, and other people out there, right, that own a small business. I just started a business hoping to make enough money where I could, you know, pay rent and eat and maybe have a vehicle that ran decent and, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I you know, that's all. You're, you're just trying to survive when you're, you're maybe in your 20s. And I kind of got doing that okay. And then, and then I think I started doing a little bit better than average. So I was kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't say comfortable, but I was happy. And I saw a business that sold, that was in the same mar- field as me, right? And they sold for an absolute grip of cash, you know, like 17 or 20 million. It was a ton of dough. And I'm like, wow, how do I do that? That sounds appealing to me. And, you know, I'd never really known anybody that had done that. And I didn't know the guy that actually did do it. But I thought, wow, I'm going to try to look at how that happens versus what I'm doing, you know, because I wasn't even on close to that path. And then when the, right in 2008, I was dealing with a lot of contractors. And so that dried up and for me, right, a lot of my work dried up and I just made a transition in how I was going to run my business and got some different licenses and started hiring some different people. I was basically a one man show up until then. And I just told my wife, I said, I want to blow this thing up and I want to, I want to have the big payday. I want to, I want to try to do that. I want to see if I can do it, you know, cause I don't know. I didn't have anybody to talk to. I had no, you know, my parents had never done it. I didn't have any friends that had done it. So it, there was a lot of trial and error and learning and researching. And I think I got to the point, I don't know if I had seven or eight employees, maybe not, maybe around eight. And I had a Fortune 500 company walk up to me, you know, or call me, and, you know, would like to talk to you about buying your business. And it's, it's a company everybody recognized. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. I always felt there. I had three customers, final customer, and I wanted to learn from this guy. So we met and he told me, you know, what they look for in purchasing a business and what have you. And I thought, well, I'm going to see if I can't do this. And I talked to him over the years and he gave me a lot of advice and I followed every bit of it. And before you know it, I was up to 40 some odd employees and I had all kinds of people that wanted to buy my business. It was, uh, it was exciting. You know, I had a company come up to me, everybody would recognize their name and it was Fortune 500 company. And you know, they wanted to buy my business. And I thought, well, this, this is cool. I, I, I need to understand. I think you need to understand your exit before you start building a company. And I met with them for the the simple purpose of I'd like to understand the value of my company and I'd like to understand what they're going to want in a to purchase a company. I don't want to build something and have them go, man, I wish you'd have done this instead. So I asked them a bunch of questions and they told me what they look for and what they like and what they value more than other stuff. And I thought, well, I'm going to try to design a company that they're going to want to purchase. And my guess was that there were going to be other companies out there that wanted to purchase my company when this all is said and done. But I 
I just didn't know at the time. I was I, I had no idea what existed out there. I, I truly had no idea, and I kept working on it, working on it. And the bigger I got, the more companies that came up to me and said, "Hey, I'd like to purchase your company." And I entertained a lot of them along the way, and you know I got a few companies to send me offers and I wanted to know what that process was like and also you know the value of my company again is you know you may wait two or three years and you try it again and they you know the value kept going up and up and up and I thought well this is cool and all the different companies that I talked to they all said the same thing we want reoccurring revenue from a company and we want you know good solid growth good margins and that's kind of what we're we're looking for. We don't want you know something you know, like they they weren't big on the contracting world. They wanted service and, and what have you. So I just built it on up from from scratch to what I thought they would like. And then when COVID came, that was all she wrote. It was you know COVID. I know a lot of people probably struggled with COVID, and it wasn't great for a lot of people, but. A lot of businesses did not buy, get bought in 2020, and there was a lot of money that they, the PE firms wanted to spend. So come 2021, you had 2021 money and 2020 money, and you had like double the money as normal, and no businesses got bought in 20. So, and some of the businesses got crushed too, right, with COVID. So there was less businesses and more money, and it just the what they're willing to pay for businesses at that point in time plus the money was cheap to borrow is you know almost at an all-time low it just made evaluations of business dating. it was it was uh, definitely fascinating that's awesome i loved how you said you when you started your company you were just trying to survive and then once you realized there's some real value here then is when you kind of began with the end in mind was kind of when you already had some processes in place so Sometimes I think that can be overwhelming when you're starting a business. If you start with, I just want to build something that I'm going to sell for, for, you know, crazy multiple that can feel overwhelming. But if you start with, I just want to build something to survive with, <laughs> and then you've got your processes in place. And that's when you're like, well, actually I have something that can be really, really valuable. And that's when you kind of, you know, sharpened, sharpen the saw on, on how you're going to move forward and create some, some real, real value in the marketplace. So that's great. Um, so did you go to college? I got a degree in, in finance and uh, the, had an emphasis in real estate. And I kind of enjoyed that. You know, um, the when I did sell my business, when they went through my books, and let me tell you, they go through your books. They go through every single thing about you. It is it's so intrusive. It's ridiculous, but it's the process you have to go through. But when when we showed up their accounting team and they looked at my books and, and they'd bought a lot of businesses and they said, you know, your business's books are the cleanest set of books we've looked at. It is. It tells a story. It's very easy to read the story. We completely understand exactly what, why you have your books set up the way you do. And they, uh, and I think some of that probably came from, you know, having a, a degree in finance and kind of understanding some basic accounting. I'm, I'm not a, an accountant or, you know, financial guru in any sense, but I think that that kind of helped a little bit. 
Did you start your company right out of college or did you do something else first? I basically, you know, there's like a year or so out of college that I worked for another company and then I started my company. So I graduated in 95 and I started my company in 98. So it was like two years after I graduated. And was your company that you started, was it in the same uh, in the same industry as what you went into after college or totally different? Same industry. It was just, uh, you know, it was with a guy that I didn't care to be involved with. You know, I didn't care how he his business practices. So I kind of decided I wanted to do my own thing. And, you know, I'm just a dead entrepreneur. That's that's just me. You know, I don't know. I don't think I could have ever worked for somebody and been happy. I, I'm an entrepreneur, a hundred percent. I'm an entrepreneur. And that's just the, what I had to do. It's, it's how I, it's who I am. So the confidence to start your own business, it was already there kind of intrinsically. In, in, in college, I had a small like vending machine business and I mean, small, right? I mean, I had, you know, 20 or 30 small little quarter vending machines out there and kind of did that for a few years. So that was fascinating. Um, really made no money at it, but it was, it was, it was, it was a good learning experience, you know, for sure. So try that for a little while. You're not alone. That was our very first thing too, after we got married. <laughs> I think we made like 600 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's about what it was. It was fun though. I learned a lot. It, it, it took me out of my comfort zone. It was, it was fascinating. And, and I just, uh, I, I, I realized that that's not what I want to do, but I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur you know, and I looked at a lot of the franchise stuffs out, out there, and, I, and a lot of them, you know, it was a long time ago, but a lot of them just didn't make sense to me. So, I don't know, I just explored around until I found something that I thought would be a good fit for me. Chad, I have a question. As an entrepreneur yourself, how do you think about that as it relates to what your kids want to do? Are you going to push them that way, or is it really just about what they're passionate about no matter what? Man, you know, I struggle with that. I, I truly, I, I would love for them to be entrepreneurs. I would even probably enjoy helping them or mentoring them on some level. But I, I think first and foremost, they have to be passionate about what they're doing. And, you know, my daughter's already told me she wants to be an entrepreneur. And, and I'm not forcing her in any which way. But I do, I do make them think about you know like take things and and take them apart and put them back together and and fixing things and, and he enjoys that right so and and you know he puts legos together like crazy and and, and he's pretty awesome that way and i'm like hey man you, you could be a mechanic that's cool and you know typically a mechanic will make you know this type of money we'd look it up on google right and i'm like hey you could do that or maybe you could own the shop of a mechanic, a mechanic shop that, you know, they've got 10 mechanics and what have you, and you can do that, you know, that's an option also, you know, or maybe you could go be a place where they uh, make these four wheel drive trucks and they trick them out and have the crazy bumpers and they lift them. And, you know, maybe that's an option. And so you just kind of, I just explain different options to them. 
so that they can make up their own mind. And, and I'm sure, you know, you know, he's not going to be a mechanic when he grows up or what have you, but, you know, just putting him through the process of thinking differently is all you can do at, at this point in time until they decide what they're passionate. Chad, when you were growing your business, how did you decide how much to reinvest versus pull off the table and put into, you know, your retirement accounts or upgrading lifestyle or, or other things? Oh, so we were really big fans of not upgrading lifestyle at all. It, it you know, we're, we're huge, huge Dave Ramsey people. I mean, we're really huge Dave Ramsey people. And we basically got rid of all of our debt minus our house. And she made okay money, but we were extremely frugal and lived on a very tight budget years or better before we started spending any, you know, decent money. It's, uh, I remember when we got, when we got debt free, you know, with student loans, she had some student loans and cars and, and all that stuff, right? We got debt free. I remember the next $2,000 we got in, we went to like Bed Bath and & Beyond and we went crazy for like a Saturday. And we got sheets because our sheets had holes in them. We got new pots and pans because they were absolutely like worse than college pots and pans. And we got towels because the towels, you know, the threads were, you know, they all had threads hanging from them and they were just shot. And that was literally what we lived with for the longest time because we just wanted to get debt free in the, in the worst way and, and keep as much money in the business as possible. I don't think you spent enough at Bed Bath & Beyond because uh, they're, uh, they're no longer going to be around, it seems. <laughs> we just went crazy. It was, uh, was kind of fun. Well, good for you. Is it, was that kind of the first thing that you started upgrading lifestyle-wise was, was things in your house? Yeah, you know, I think once you get to that point, you know, you're kind of used to the lifestyle. And we knew our goal was we wanted to retire early and... We knew the more money we spent today, the longer we'd have to work and longer before we could retire. And that was a huge goal for us. I mean, that was a, I don't want to say we talked about it daily, but for sure we talked about it weekly. And it was a, an extreme focus for us. Good for you. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap up with some rapid fire questions. What's the uh, most expensive pair of pants that you've purchased? Oh, I've probably got a pair of slacks in there, probably, you know, 100, 120 bucks. But, you know, I kind of needed them for, you know, business, right? Yeah, you got to meet with those private equity guys, right? Okay. What about the uh, most expensive meal out that you paid for? So that's at 24000 Good for you. How many people did you did you bring to that? I think we had a dozen. Okay, nice. <laughs> Good for you. 
What's the uh, most expensive car that you purchased? Or I guess boat in your case, probably the million dollar catamaran, right? Yeah, the, 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 the catamaran is for sure the most expensive thing. I've, you know, the catamaran is the most expensive thing I've ever bought, period. Um, by far. And my wife's car is the most expensive. But, you know, we pay cash for everything. And, and I don't really look at it as like you're spending the money on it. You know, as far as that, the, the dinner, for sure, that, you know, that money's gone. You're never getting it back. But, you know, if you buy a, a car and you drive it for a couple, three years, and then you get, you know, 75% of it back, I mean, you didn't spend the whole chunk of money on that car, right? It's a, it's kind of an asset that's depreciating, and you get a chunk of it back. So Yeah, plus a lot of memories across, the, across those few years that you're driving it, right? Or in your case, on the boat, you got memories for, for a lifetime on that thing. Okay. What, uh, what's a key lesson you learned from childhood? Oh, man. No, I think that, I guess, you know, the, the, the work ethic and, you know, I think I learned that from my parents. They're very simple people. But I, I, wor- I learned the, the work ethic and when you think it's so tough you can't go any further, you just have to find a way to keep going even though you think you can't and you just need to persevere and i I think i learned that through my childhood and my parents and and uh, different sports that i used to do you know there's some tough moments there and i think those are all uh great lessons awesome being a, a dave ramsey guy do you use a credit card i recently got a credit card but i bet you for my i never had a credit card in my business we straight did debit cards and, and what have you, which is an absolute pain in the butt for for employees and stuff. It's it's very unfortunate that banks don't have a better system for getting a card to uh, you know your key employees that need to be able to purchase stuff. Personally, we never had a credit card for the longest time up until the last two years. And my business, we never had a credit card for my business. We use debit cards, and it's very difficult to get debit cards. For key employees that that need them to make purchases and what have you, it's it's a horrible system. I wish the banks would have changed it. To be honest with you, and maybe they have by now. I don't know. It's been a couple of years. So, and then I bought a I or I got a credit card for uh, the Admirals Club for American Airlines because we're traveling a little bit more, and it's the Admirals Club is awesome. So especially during COVID, you know, it just gave you a little bit more room, and I really enjoyed it. So that's the only reason I got the card is to get 200 bucks off the admiral's club plus you probably end up flying first class if you travel enough right yeah we we only fly first class now unless you can't there's some flights that don't have that available but we we do fly first class and you know like you said you know how do how do you start spending money and and you know when's that when you're comfortable with that we literally did not fly first class ever right up until the point where we knew we were going to sell the business. And then we, we flew first class the first time um, on a trip me and my wife took to Annapolis. And that was, that was such a treat. It was awesome. But we, and we had plenty of money to do it, right? I mean, I know people do it who have a lot less money, but we just could not bring in ourselves to to do it and now we we're kind of getting used to it what's a closely held belief that you once had that you recently changed your mind on Ooh, 
Man, that's going to be a tough one. A belief I've changed my mind on. Hmm. So I, I, I'll tell you what it is. We went to Cuba recently, you know, and we've been to a lot of other, you know, countries, the DR. And you go to a lot of places that don't look great. Like if you saw them in the States, you'd be concerned for your safety. I mean, you would be really concerned for your safety if you were there. But some of these countries you go to, they're, they're safe, but they're, they're just poor. They're, they're not violent. They're not criminals. They're just poor and maybe don't always associate poor with, you know, someplace that's not safe. Because in other places, it's definitely not always true. I mean, in Havana, that was one of the most, one of the safest places I've ever been. Awesome. Well, Chad, to wrap up, what's the one piece of advice that you would give to somebody who's just starting out? Wow. One piece of advice. I think it's kind of uh, wrapped up into a few things. I I think you need to do it. If you're thinking it, you need to do it. I think when you're doing it, you need to trust your gut. You know more than you're letting yourself believe so have confidence trust your gut and then make sure at some point in time you're thinking about the end what's my end game look like and i think if you kind of get there with that you'll you'll be pretty successful awesome let's chat the net worth of 10 million thanks for coming on the show today hey thanks for having me i really enjoy your show i've been listening for years and you guys do some great work and Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.